want to invite you to stand with me. Uh, We're in the last week of our summer series called A Retweetable Life, and we're looking together at the Gospel of Luke and um, some of the life of Jesus today as we close out the series. I'll read it aloud, and you can follow along on the screen. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been, what's that phrase? Read that whole phrase with me. Cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom, how many demons? Seven. We're going to come back to that. Seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of, I don't know how to pronounce it either. I'm going to call it Chuzza, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So they're, they're paying for the ministry of Jesus. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them a parable. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Well, we're ending this series uh, today, and we're launching a new series uh, about friendship as we launch life groups, and I really hope that you'll be a part of a life group, still have life group fair happening in the community center after, but you haven't found a group, you need to find one. But um, this is kind of weird, but this is part one of a two-part message on, uh, I don't know what else to call it other than healing. And so this, this is, and we'll do part two um, in a few weeks, and I'm going to give you on purpose the date that we're going to do part two of this because I want you to be here. It is September the 15th, Sunday, September the 15th. What's the day? Okay, I think I heard someone say the 12th of September. No, no, September the 15th, and I want you to be here because here's what we're going to do on September the 15th. This is part one. This will be part two. Um, we are going to have a service of healing. Now, some of you have some physical ailments. Um, we understand and we believe, and I've seen it with my own two eyes, people healed physically by the power of God. And if you have that, we'll pray for you that day. Some of us, though, are carrying around some things, some baggage, some hurt, some stuff that we just need to let go of. And we're going to have a day, that's why I'm giving you an advance warning, uh, to let some things go and release some pain and undo some things that have been done and f- move on by finding the healing of God for all of those things. And so I'm, I'm telling you now, if you have time to prepare, you can put some things in order and you can get ready. Now listen, some of you, uh, I need you to pray, some of you that know how to pray. And if you're one of those people who knows how to pray, I want you to come up after the service and tell me, I will pray leading up to that because you know what it means what's going to happen in people's lives and all the battles they're going to face leading up to that. And we need some people who will pray. And if you're one of those people, you come to me and I'll message you throughout as we're getting ready for that. But, uh, but we need a warrior team of people. Now, listen, some messages uh, answer questions. You come in here and it's like a life question. You're like, yes, that's what God said. Oh, hallelujah. I got, I got, some, I got some peace. I got some healing. Uh, this is not that message <laughs> today. Uh, Some messages, on the other hand, raise some questions and force you to wrestle. And that's what we're going to do today. Are you you all in? Okay, ready? Okay, all right. Now, here's here's the title, okay? Listen listen to the title because we've been doing this this series uh, on, on all these little minor characters in the scriptures. This is the title for today's message. When all you have is a screwed up past. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's okay, they're your past was kind of bad. (laughs) 
So this is a series, and, um, and we've been looking at, at people of faith, and if you were here at the beginning, you know we talked about Hebrews chapter 11, and, which is sometimes called the Hall of Fame of Faith, and it starts off with all these famous people, and it ends with these unnamed people. And so what we've done throughout this series is looked at some of the unknown or unnamed people in the scriptures, because that's us, honestly. I go to, uh, when, I, when I do a funeral, we go to the, the graveside, and I always look at the, the names on the, the graves as I'm walking back to the car, and I just want to know, you know, is this, maybe there's someone famous buried here. Never is. I've lived in a couple places where there are some famous cemeteries. I lived in Richmond, Virginia for a number of years, and Edgar Allan Poe is buried, and you can go visit his grave there. Some of the, uh, the founding fathers of the United States are buried in, in, by St. John's Church in Old Town, Richmond. You can go there and see. But for the most part, you walk around a cemetery, you don't know the name. Someday I'm going to be laying in a grave and there's going to be the name Marshall on that grave. Someone's going to walk by and go, who was that guy? Well, that's you and that's me. We're just, we're the normal people and so we've been looking at the lives of the, of the normal small people in the scriptures because that's you and me. And today we're going to look at the life of Mary Magdalene. Now listen, Mary Magdalene is not uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's a different Mary. And, and Mary was the first witness of the resurrection of Jesus. It's for another message uh, to talk about how Jesus lifted women up. And in that time, for the writers of the biography of Jesus trying to say that this is a valid thing that happened in human history to make women the, res- the, the witnesses of the resurrection was scandalous. It's for another message and for another time. But she was the first witness of the resurrection. Luke records that, and Mark records that. And she was the one to announce our risen Lord to us. And, and, and that's recorded for all of human history. But here in Luke chapter 8, we have her backstory. Now, have you ever known someone that's just remarkable and you just really admire and you think to yourself, I would love to know their backstory. How did they get to the place that they are? Maybe you also know someone who's the opposite of remarkable. And they're kind of a mess, and, and maybe you've had compassion grow in your heart for them, and you've looked at them and thought, well, I wonder what their backstory is and how they got to this place. And here's all we know about her backstory. This is it. Just eight words. Mary from whom seven demons had come out. Now, sometimes what the scriptures do is they, uh, they, they hyperlink a character, and you can double-click on that name, and you can read a lot. Like King David, we have stories about when he was a boy, and he went and he fought Goliath and killed the giant, and then how he was chased by King Saul, and then how he was anointed king, and then how he had sons, and how he had an affair with Bathsheba. And his whole story is laid out for us, all the details. We can see his backstory in great detail. Or the Apostle Paul, how he was a religious person, a, a devoutly religious person, but he was doing all kinds of terrible things in the name of God, and then he has this radical conversion experience, and his life has radically changed, and he goes throughout the known world t- spreading the message of Jesus. Or you could read about Abraham and how he, uh, who, where he left and the women that he married and the children that he had and his legacy. But some stories are like Mary's. Just a few words. Mary, from whom seven demons had come out. Now, Luke's trying to tell us that Mary had a past. She had some stuff in the rearview mirror of her life. Now, now we just got back from sabbatical and we drove, uh, I think, about 3,000 miles. The odometer, uh, you know, where, where you can count, turned over at least three times. And, and so we did, a, we did a lot of driving. And I like to drive in the left lane because my foot is quite heavy. <laughs> 
Um, so I, I like to pass. Like Now my wife likes to drive in the right lane, and I like to remind her that everyone is passing her on the right, and she should be in the right lane. Right? I, I, that's how, kind of the difference between the two of us. And, and I like to leave things behind because I like to see them get smaller in the rearview mirror. So I'm like, oh, look at that. Look at them go. But you know how it is, right? When you're driving somewhere, uh, you stop. And then you get back in the car, especially if you're on a long road trip, and you, get, and you pass the same thing that you thought was in the rear view mirror, right? Your rear view mirror represents what's behind you and the things that you've already gone through and that you passed by already and you thought you'd left behind and that you'd left in the dust. Uh, but sometimes we haven't left them behind. Uh, I, I looked this up. Didn't know this, but cars didn't have rear-view mirrors until 1921. Can you believe that? Uh, on, our, on our travels, we went to Florida um, for a few days, and the town we were in was the summer home, didn't know this, of Thomas Edison and Henry Ford. They were really close friends. I mean, how would you like to live the kind of lifestyle where you'd have your second home down um, in Florida, and you built a whole lab and a whole home, and then your friend was like, oh, sure, I'll build a house next door, and built a house next door that he lived in for a week a year. How, how would you like? Wouldn't they, wouldn't they be a great life? Henry Ford, that's what he did. And while we were there, they had a little museum, and I took a picture uh, of the, one of the early Cadillacs. Now, I want you to look where the rear view mirror ought to be, and I want you to notice that it's not there. <laughs> uh, so I read about this, that, that what they said was, uh, they, said to, they said, you know, listen, women, while your husband is driving, what you ought to do is get a little handheld mirror, and from time to time, look and see what's behind you. <laughs> uh, and, and what happened was, they, they discovered, through a lot of accidents, and a lot of pain, and a lot of hurt, that what's behind you can creep up on you and it could overwhelm you and it could ruin you and it could hurt you. And if you don't deal with what is in your past in the rearview mirror, it can very quickly, without you realizing how it happened, become your present again. Does that resonate with you about your life? And so we need to pay attention to what's behind us. Now, some of us are stuck on what's behind us. And so instead of making forward progress, all we're doing is looking in the rearview mirror. What happens when you try to drive and all you do is look behind you? What happens? Terrible things. But we need to be aware of it and notice it and deal with it because it affects where you're going. A little handheld mirror every now and again is not enough. And if you don't, nothing good can grow in your present and in your future. Now, here's the context that Luke sets his story in, and that's, it's very important. Uh, in fact, when you read the scriptures, you always need to understand the context. What's, it set, what's, this, what's surrounding what I'm reading? When I was a little uh, a boy, my mom had this little thing. And someone found a marketing name for it. They called it the bread of life, I guess, to get people to buy it. I don't know. But it was this little clear, uh, little clear container about, about this big, and inside were all of these little cards. They were about this long by about this high, and they each had an individual scripture verse. And so my mom would have me take those and she would have me memorize those. Now it's wonderful. I really appreciate that. I'm glad my mom did that for me. But I, I didn't learn that all of those passages had a context and that if I understood the context then I might understand better 
what that passage actually means. And sometimes when you read things, you think you're just pulling this little thing out. And you, if you read the context, it would make more sense to you. And so understanding the context in which Luke sets the story helps us understand. Because in Luke chapter 7, if you go back, he, you notice he starts and says, after this, Luke chapter 7 is Jesus dealing with people who have stuff in their rearview mirror, and he heals them. And it's just a remarkable story after story because nothing is too hard for the Lord. And then here in Luke chapter 8, he sets it in the context of after this, and he tells us this little blurb about Mary, and then he says, he tell, and he told them this parable. And the parable that he told them is what we call the parable of the soils. And the parable, if you were here a number of years ago, we set up a whole uh, little like field here to kind of illustrate the parable. We did a whole series on the parable of the soils, and, and basically there's, there's different soils. There's the, the kind of soils that gets trampled down because you walk over it all the time. Um, there's the kind of soil that is uh, uh, rocky soil, and you've got rocks that, you know, that are in the rearview mirror that you've never cleared out in, in your life, and so nothing can grow there, or, weed, or, or there's weeds and that cares and concerns of life have grown up, and they choke out anything. And, and there's good soil where things can grow, and, and the whole parable is about how God is at work cultivating in us good soil, because sometimes we have to recognize that we have in us trampled places where things can't grow, and there are rocks that need to be removed, and there are cares of life that God is positioning us to give up, so that you can grow, and that you can be fruitful, and you can actually love God, and you can actually love people, and you can actually serve the world. But this is a story that has layers to it. And like a good cake, good stories always have layers. And Jesus knows how to bake a good story. And one of the layers is what we bring to it. Because here's what Dr. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, is trying to communicate to us. He's communicating to us a life question. And this is the life question. Does my past disqualify me from a better future? Now, Many of us hear that, we immediately go, oh, you just don't even know what's in my rearview mirror. There's no way God could take something with that and do anything with that. And, and, and there's no way that I've got what it takes. And so we disqualify ourselves out of the gate from growth and a better tomorrow. And we think, my, pa- my past disqualifies me from a better future. And here's what Luke says. Listen, this is, a, this, is a, this is said in the context of a woman who has a terrible past. It's horrific. But nothing was too hard for the Lord. And God healed that woman. And so he could heal you too. And he could take out the hard, he could, he could break up the hard places in your life. And he'll show you how to take out the rocks. And he'll help you pull the weeds so that something good can grow in your life. But first you've got to deal with what's in the rearview mirror. Now Luke says that, that these, this group of women that were following Jesus around, that they were cured of evil spirits and diseases. Now, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the four biographies from four different perspectives of the life of Jesus, what you find is that Jesus kind of routinely will cast demons out of people. And usually the word that's used there for casting something out is this kind of violent word. Uh, the, the, the original word is ekbalo. Turn to your neighbor and say ekbalo. And I learned to speak Greek today. Ekbalo. And what it means is that you take something and you throw it out. Like you violently get rid of it. That's usually what happens when Jesus takes an evil spirit. Throws it out. Like be gone. You can't mess with this anymore. But here this is a different word. It's, It's literally the word where we get our word therapy. They were 
It was a balm and a, a salve and a gentle touch and a bandage. And they found healing. Now listen, if you don't, if you don't ever get a cure from all of that stuff, then you become one of the walking wounded and all you do is you carry around an evil spirit and disease with you everywhere you go. Now listen, we all know people like this, right? They carry around a spirit of offense. I mean, they carry around a spirit of hurt and a spirit of pain. They need a cure, but all they know how to do is to just carry so they're just lugging this thing around everywhere that they go. All this hurt, all this pain, I just got to bring this more. Load some more up on me and I'll carry that too. And they, they're never able to access the cure. Now listen, I was not there. Uh, so I don't really know how this rolled for Mary. But it is very clear and Luke wants us to know, because this is her backstory, that Jesus is the one that did that for her. And it's such a powerful change in her life that she filed him around and paid for things. Now listen, this is not a sermon about money, but I need you to understand something because it's in the text. She was so grateful for what God did in her life that she was glad to give and support the work of Jesus. And in all honesty, uh, that's the reason that people around here, that they give, because they are grateful for what God has done in their life. And honestly, one of the reasons, one of the reasons we struggle in the region perpetually is because we're still carrying all the pain. We're just lugging it around, and nobody knows how to give the cure. They don't know, where's the cure? And so why would you ever give anything? Because I got all this pain. I can't give anything. I'm not grateful. But this whole gaggle of women gave because of their gratefulness because of how God healed them now that's available for you that's the, that's what the story's about it could happen for you and so he says from whom seven demons had come out have you ever seen a demon come out uh now, maybe you think when I say that, you're like, listen, come on, um, that's just like Bible talk, and that doesn't really happen, and, and come on, we know that, that doesn't, that's not real, and, and you, have, uh, you have bought into the line that science and faith are somehow opposites, and science somehow deals with what's true, and faith at its, on its best day is really an attempt to make sense of the world, or on its worst day, it's just kind of wishful thinking, you know, and so that they're opposites, and I just want to tell you that that's a false dichotomy. That's a fake split. That's an unnecessary choice. I kind of take a little bit of pride in this. Uh, you know, I went to seminary and, and all that stuff like you do when you're a pastor and, and you're training for it. And I, and I got it, you know, I learned to study theology. But did you know that they call theology the queen of the sciences? You know why that? You know what a queen does? A queen gives birth to heirs. So all theology, as it's been around for a really long time, is the study of God and God's world. And so people said, you know, this is the, the world that God made and he ordered it in such a way that, you know, we're tilted 23 and a half degrees uh, from the sun. If we were half a degree this way, we'd freeze. If we were half a degree this way, we'd melt. And just the right blend of, of oxygen in the air and plant life and all. It's this ordered, beautiful world. We know when the plants are going to come around and how long it takes. And all of that came, all that exploration came because people said, this is God's world. Let's not be afraid. Let's go explore it and understand how it works. And so all of the early scientists that you've heard their names of, almost all of them were followers of Jesus saying, I'm going to explore God's world. Now, somewhere along the line, it got split. and People said, no, those are two different things. No, 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 no. 
Don't buy the recent notion that they're against each other. The meaning of what's happening and the mechanics of what's happening are two sides of the same coin. They're not two different things, okay? So, so have you ever seen a demon come out? I, I have twice. You, now you may say, well, no, but that was, that was like psychological stress or they were mentally ill. No, I've dealt with a a load of people under psychological stress, and I've seen and dealt with uh, hundreds of people with mental illness. I, I know when I've seen that, done this long enough to know what I'm looking at. And, and, and there's no need to get fantastical with the whole story about it, um, but the descriptions in the New Testament of Jesus casting demons out uh, very much fit what I saw. In fact, one of them happened, uh, we were telling Josh about it this week, we're like, well, one of those things happened in what's now your office. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, there's this famous story where Jesus comes to uh, this region, and there's a man, because of his, uh, because of his demon possession, and uh, he, he's been cast out by his town, and he's wandering among a, 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 a cemetery, and he's naked, and he's crazy, and Jesus ekbalos. He throws out the demons, and the town all comes out, and, and they're so surprised. Uh, the, the gospel writer says that he was clothed and in his right mind, and the one that I saw in our building, I mean, literally, Literally exactly that. Now, I, I believe in demons. Now, um, uh, I don't spend my time worrying about them. You need to understand that because I know the risen Lord of the universe and no demon can withstand the power of Christ. I'm just never even scared. I mean, it might be like a little weird, but never even scared. And I believe in them and you should too. But Mary, from whom seven demons came out, that meant that she was tormented. That meant that every moment was anguish and that she would go to sleep in turmoil and wake up in turmoil and walk around in turmoil. Her life was turmoil. Her life was a constant tornado. There was no rest and there was no peace. Now, maybe as I describe that, you say, Well, that's kind of my life. Are you saying that I'm demon possessed? Well, that's not for me to say. But it might it might be the stuff in your rearview mirror that you've never dealt with. On sabbatical, I read a bunch, and and one of the books that I read was by a guy who for 40 years has worked to help people who are victims of some kind of trauma, PTSD, and he's worked a ton with soldiers coming back from war, um, people who've been through abuse, and and he's kind of one of the world's leading experts on how to help somebody heal from severe trauma in their life. And so he wrote this book about it called The Body Keeps the Score. He's a a Dutch guy named Bessel van der Kolk, and uh, say that fast twice. And and in in the book, he tells all these stories about what happens in inside your body, inside your brain when trauma happens. He tells this story of this guy named Stan and his wife, and they were driving down a highway one day, uh, and you know how when you drive down the highway, I don't know if he's in the left lane or the right lane, but you're going pretty fast, and they didn't see it coming, but there was a suddenly a dense wall of fog that cut everything to zero immediately, and obviously he did what we would all do, just slammed on the brakes, like, oh my word, what am I about to run into, and sure enough, he ran into somebody, and and they're just bracing, sitting there, couldn't move, because they were kind of jammed in the car, a semi came up, crushed them from the back, came up on top of their trunk. They couldn't get out of the car. They're, they're terrorized, hearing all these crashes around them. A girl at one point in a car that had caught flame somehow got out and came to them, was yelling, please help me, and they watched her die. I mean, it's just like this traumatic experience. And so he's reeling from this, and he's struggling with this for months, and he can't sleep, and he's drinking too much, and he doesn't know what to do. And so he goes to see Bessel Vanderkoek, and, and he has him come into his lab and 
puts him through an MRI, and he says, now, while I, while I do this, I'm going to scan your brain. I want you to remember this. And he said, while he was in there, he just started sweating, and he said, it just started happening all over again, and I felt like I was uh, right in the exact same moment. Because here's, he said, this is what he said happens when you go through trauma of any kind. He said, it becomes uh, no longer just a memory of something that happened in the past, but it becomes something that haunts you in the present moment. And you can just have just one thing happen that's a trigger, and you feel all those things again, like it's happening right, oh my gosh, what's happening right now? And your body goes through all these things. Because he said it happens, what happens is the body keeps score. You keep it in your body. It's why on the 4th of July, we, you hear all these warnings about please be considerate of veterans who have PTSD. Because for them, it's in their body. They remember and it's like they hear these booms that we think are so pretty. And it just brings up all of this junk for them. And it's happening right now. And that's why he says it doesn't do any good to tell someone who's gone through horrible trauma in their life or some terrible experience or some awful thing has happened. Just say, get over it and think differently because it's not in their mind, he says. It's in their body and you have to find healing for what's in your body. And so if you grew up, say, in an abusive family, until you find healing and it works its way into your body, you're going to carry that around with you. And it's the stuff in your rearview mirror that you've never found healing for and you wonder why you can't. Like maybe that's the reason you're feeling what you're feeling. Now, and I'm going to land the plane really fast, so put your seat backs and tray tables in their full and upright and locked position, okay? <laughs> the, the path to healing is actually predictable, and on September the 15th, that's why I'm giving you this message today, I want to prepare you for it. And the path of healing is predictable, and you can, you can kind of map it in, in three words, and these are the three words. Why don't you say them out loud with me, would you? Can, how, will. One more time. Can, how, will. Uh, it can, can it happen for me? How, will, how do I let it happen for me? Will I let it happen for me? I'll give you a, a silly example um, and, that I'm working on, and... Uh, can, can I lose weight? I mean, is it possible for someone like me who loves sweets and donuts like I do? Can I do it? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really sure. It's kind of the possibility question. I don't know if it's possible. And then if I can get past that, it's, well, how will I do it? How will I lose the weight? How, what will I have to give up? What will I suffer? It's the path question. What's the path I'm going to take to make it happen? But then here, this might be the most important one. Will I lose the weight? In other words, am I willing to do what it takes? Will I be able to overcome all that's in me? Will I have to do this alone? Will anyone help me? It's the permission question. Can, how, will. At some point, Mary Magdalene said, can I be free from this pain? How will I, how will I ever be free from this pain? Will I ever... Let this pain be gone in my life. Now listen, here's, here's the thing. I'm going to give you the hope, and, and then I'm going to leave you for September 15th, okay? This is what the gospel writer wants to tell us, is that Mary, who's had seven demons out of her, has been set free by the power of Jesus, and that means that you can too. That, yeah, that means that you can too. That there's, there's no demon that can withstand the power of Christ. There's no trauma that he can't love you through and help you find healing for. There's nothing in the past. And so what we're going to do as we lead up to September 15th is we're going to come into this room. And we're going to bring it and we're going to let it go. We're going to let it go. Well, I want to pray for you. We're going to receive the elements of uh, communion. The band's going to come and, and 
um, they're going to play while we do this. But um, when we do this, what we do is we take the bread and we remember as we eat the bread that Jesus' body was broken for us. And then we dip it into the cup and we remember that Jesus' blood was shed for us. Now, here's how we do this in our church and the tribe of churches that we're a part of is we practice an open communion, meaning if you're a follower of Jesus or if you want to be, that you're welcome to take the elements of the Lord's Supper and remember that Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension was for you and for the, the stuff in your rearview mirror. But here's what I'd like you to do as we get ready to receive these elements, and I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. I want you to remember, because we, we call this the Lord's table, m- meaning that we're in this together. And that your journey of healing is not for you to do alone. In fact, I really don't think that you can be healed alone. I think God meant for us to be healed together. When other people let me know that I'm going to be okay and they have grace for me when I don't have grace for me. And man, that brings healing into my life. And so I want you to remember as you take these elements that this might be the beginning of a path of healing for you. And it's just like, okay, God, I'm going to accept that you could bring healing. And even if you just have just the littlest, teeniest faith that maybe that could happen for you, just come receive the elements of the Lord's Supper and say, God, I'm open. I'm open. I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical. It's, I've carried this a long time. But I'm open. And I want you to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you. And then um, you're welcome when we're done to come down the aisle and receive the elements. And when, after you receive the elements, you're dismissed to love God, to love people, and serve the world. Let's pray together, okay? Thank you, Jesus, that uh, as, as Isaiah the prophet said it, by your stripes we are healed. Oh, that there's healing in your name. You're the healer. You bring help to people who go, I don't know how. And so, God, we, wanna, we want everything that you have for us. And so, um, can we be healed? Oh, God, we need to see that we can be healed. How will we heal? We need to see the path is through you. And then for many of us, the will. Oh, will I? Would you allow us to give ourselves permission to heal today? Would you allow us to give you permission to heal us today? And so we want to start down the path of healing today. Thank you for this table where we're one at one table with your disciples. Thank you, Lord. So we receive these elements with gratefulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Come forward and receive the elements.